Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. And welcome to our Changing Climate online field trip and the web conference this morning. So, Ko Shelley Taku Ingua, Yolens Kayarahi, talking to you from Utiputi, Dunedin, this morning, where it's deciding whether it wants to be sunny or raining. It's not sure just yet. Um, and Barry in the Loon's office in Ōtutahi, and we've got Justin and Fiona from Environment Canterbury, and of course our speaking school, Southern School from Hamilton. So we're spread throughout the motu today, so it's wonderful to be able to connect online and talk about this issue of climate change. And now we'll give our experts a chance to introduce themselves. And we'll start with Justin, who you may not have met yet because he was supposed to be on our field trip, but couldn't make it when we were filming on location. But he works for Environment Canterbury, ECAN as it is known. And Justin, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, kia ora um, Yeah, like Shelley says, I work for Environment Canterbury and I was really disappointed uh, not to be able to um, join you guys on the on the virtual on the virtual field trip. Those videos look amazing, um, and so I hope uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed um, looking at those. Um, yeah, so I I work at uh, the Canterbury Regional Council, Environment Canterbury, um, and my role here is um, a natural hazards scientist. So I've always been interested um, ever since I was a little kid in how the the earth operates so i've always been really interested in weather i've always been really interested in um, earth sciences so geology and how rivers work and how um our land form our land land is shaped by um by water and by um, earthquakes and volcanoes and things like that so um i found my my perfect uh, role at environment canary where um me and my team help um help people um to identify um Areas that um, may be good to good to build or good to build roads that are away from natural hazards, um, like flooding, for example, um, or coastal erosion, um, and also areas where it might be a little bit uh, maybe not a good idea to, uh, to to build that house or build build that road because um, it might be might be at risk from 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 some of those natural elements. Um, yeah, so it's wonderful to be here. I'm looking forward to to some questions. Kia ora, thanks Justin, and Fiona. Kia ora koutou, ko Fiona Shannon tōku Good morning everybody, my name is Fiona and I'm the Chief Scientist at Environment Canterbury. So I work with Justin and we do our best to, to provide um, helpful information for people who want to understand a little bit more, not only about the natural hazards, but about the, the air, the land, the water around them. And like Justin, I've had a, a real fascination with the environment and landscapes from a pretty early age. And for me, I, um, I really enjoyed getting out and, and learning more, um, learning more about nature, and the environment, how it was formed. And that passion took me to Antarctica, where I first met Shelley, actually. We were doing some, I was doing some fieldwork down there, and she was taking kids on a virtual field trip down there. So being lucky to have those experiences and 
have a big focus on climate change in my role. So look forward to hearing your questions today. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thanks, Fiona. And Southern School, have you got a student that would like to introduce your class and tell us a bit about what you've been working on? Yeah, hello, I'm Thomas from oh, okay. Hello, I'm Thomas from Southern School and as a class we're really interested and passionate in um, our changing climate. So we're really grateful that we have access to people like you that are really knowledgeable in the field. Um, and yeah, we have a few questions for you. Awesome, thanks Thomas. Great to hear that you're so interested. And looking at your questions this morning, I can tell that you've done a lot of work on those. So well done. And yeah, I too am looking forward to hearing the answers to those. Kia ora, thank you. And we'll get started with your first question, please. Um, so when you use water to generate power, and you take it through the Coleridge water stock and power station, wouldn't that do something to the quality of the water? Uh, good question. That's Talia, isn't it? Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Talia. And who would like to answer this, that question? I can give that a go, um, if you like, Shelley. Shelley? Thanks, Talia. Um, it is a really good question because, um, because sometimes when we do suck water into into bits of machinery and that like, you might think that um, that the machinery or the turbines of the power station could do something to the to the quality of the water. Um, but it's a little bit like um, our our drinking water pipes. The the water from from the lake goes through the the um, the big massive um, pipes and penstocks of the of the power station. Um, but that machinery is actually really really clean. So essentially the water that comes into the power station is pretty much the same as it is um, when, it, when it comes out. Um, so that's why um, that's one of the reasons why we call hydro um, hydroelectric power kind of green energy, because um, it doesn't really affect the, the quality of the water. But one of the um, one of the things we need to be careful about, and it's not so much a case at say Lake Coleridge, um, but when we are building um, hydropower schemes. Um, an important thing to remember is that they can have a little bit, have an effect on the environment. Like dams are really big. Um, they um, take up a lot of room. So, um, and they also, obviously they create in behind them a large pool of water that might not have been there before. So when we're building hydro dams, um, we have to be really careful that what we're doing is not um, interrupting some of the, the environmental um, aspects um, of the of the land um, and also um, again not the case with Lake Coleridge but um, if you're um, if you're storing water that means that means that that water might not be available um, as it normally was because you're trapping it um, to come down a river so you have to be careful to keep the um, the flows in the river at a at a good level to um, to help all the the uh, bugs and critters and fish that live in the that live in the um, live in the river, and I think uh, Duncan talked a little bit about that in one of his in, in one of the in one one of the videos, um, and that's also one of the reasons why um, there aren't a lot of um, big dams built in New Zealand anymore because the environmental footprint of them are are really um, 
really quite large. So now what we're seeing is in terms of our, um, our sustainable energy, energy um, uh, is things like, you know, um, wind farms where we're using the power of the wind to generate electricity rather than water um, or um, solar, solar energy where we're using the, the power of um, the sun um, to generate electricity. Um, and I was reading the other day that actually in, in Christchurch, Otatahi, there's a, there's a really big plan um, to build a huge solar power farm um, out near the Christchurch airport. So if you, if you think about, uh, you know, if you've been driving along or you might even have them, have them yourselves, um, solar panels on top of our, on top of, on top of houses or on, on, on some, um, some businesses have them. Imagine that times by 250 rugby fields. All right. And so that's the plan in Christchurch to build a massive solar powered um, plant with 250 rugby fields full of these solar panels, like the ones you see on, on, on people's houses. And they're going to, that's going to create enough power um, to. Uh, we're, we're losing you a little bit there, Justin. Might be a plan to turn that, that video off. But um, we got, got the gist of that. And um, good to hear that there is progress with lots of uh, renewable energy power generation. Just a quick question. How, what is that going to power, that 250? Power about 30,000 um, 30, houses. Um, 30,000 so houses. Be, it's going to be huge. So, um, obviously, Dan. Uh, oh, we are losing your the audio now, Justin. <laughs> uh, um, yep. Okay. Oh, 30,000. Sorry yeah, about that. I finished my answer. <laughs> Thank you. We um we got the thirty thousand houses. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for all that info. That's brilliant. Okay, question number two now, please. Coco. Um, Introduce yourself, Coco. Hi, I'm Coco. Uh, how can we spread awareness to the people who don't know or believe that climate change is real? Uh, another good question. Thanks, Coco. Fiona. Thanks, Coco, for your question. It's a, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because I guess the, the more that we learn about climate change and the more we have conversations with people, sometimes we do find that other people don't know so much about it or perhaps they don't even believe that climate change is real. So it's really important to talk to people about what you know have some conversations with them and, and let them know that scientists have been making observations of our planet for a really long time now. And their measurements have shown that our planet is definitely warming. So here in New Zealand, our temperature has increased by about 1.1 degrees over the last 110 years. And the sea level around New Zealand has risen by about 21 centimetres over that same period. So while we might not notice those sort of changes on a day-to-day -day basis, 
Over a long period of time, we do have these measurements that definitively show that our climate is changing. And we see it in other things too, like more intense floods, um, more droughts, changes in our weather patterns around the world. So there's a lot of evidence out there. And as part of what you learn through this module, you'll be able to talk more with other people and share what you know, which is a really good way to start the conversation. There's also, um, if you're interested, Coco, there's a website that our team has put together called It's Time Canterbury. And I know you're up in Kirikiriroa, Hamilton, but it does have some general information about climate change. And it's got some actions there as well that help prompt you with ideas about what you could do. So it'd be worth checking that out as well. Mm, and a lot of the time it's about sharing that evidence as you talk about, Fiona, and um, there are some really compelling, persuasive graphs out there that show us things over a much longer time period because there's people we think, oh, you know, it's just what's happened today or last week or next week that we're interested in. Whereas the climate change that we're talking about is happening so much faster than what it has in the past, which is how we know that it's because of our activities rather than just nature um, changing because that happens over a much, much longer period of time. So check out that info that Fiona is talking about and also the graphs that are on the LEARNS website. You can share those with others. And question number three now, please. Shrika is next. Hello. Oh, yes. Hello. Um, my name is Srika. Is there any way to not only stop climate change but to reverse it? Uh, another good question. Thanks, Srika. Um, I'm not sure how Justin's audio is going, um, but we might start How's, with Fiona. How, how do I sound? Oh, there you go. It sounded good. Have you got something you want to start with there? I could, I could start off and then um, Fiona can Fiona can jump in. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that is a really good question, and, and that's something that that scientists all over the world are are asking that very same um, question, um, Srikar. Um, and I think the easiest way to answer that is that even if we stopped um, uh, emitting um, our kind of those greenhouse heat trapping gases and and and, and pollution um, into the atmosphere um, today. Even if we stop, even if we stop today, um, it will take quite a long time, like many decades, um, to 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 bring the Earth um, back down to its um, down to a down to a cooler a cooler level. Um, can everyone still hear me? Am I talking to myself? Yep. We can still hear you. Oh, good, good, excellent. Um, and so I think you could think about a bit, bit like a bit like a car. If you're if you're driving along really fast, um, and you take your brake off the uh, your foot off the foot off the accelerator, you're not going to stop straight away. Um, you're going to keep you're going to keep going. Um, and even if you slam on the brakes, um, you're not going to stop straight away. Your car's still going to still going to keep keep moving. And the Earth's atmosphere is a little bit bit, bit like that. It takes a really long time. Um, for it to um, for for the, for it to for it to revert back to the to the, the way it was before we before we started pumping um, some of the gases into the 
into the atmosphere. Um, but um, there are some really, really bright and intelligent people around the world that are that are working on ways that potentially we could um, we could not only stop um, stop global warming and climate change, but but to actually reverse it. Um, and so there's people thinking of all these weird and wonderful ideas about how to how to suck um, those gases out of the out of the atmosphere. There's a there's a um, there's an experiment going on in Iceland at the moment um, where they've built a built a factory with massive big fans on it that um, pulls in the air and can um, suck out the carbon dioxide um, in the air. Um, and what they do with that is that they um, pump it underground um, and it, and um, and I don't know how it works um, because <laughs> that's not my area of expertise. But they pump it underground and it and it kind of mineralizes. I mean, it turns into turns into rock um, so that's 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 something that that some of the best brains in the world are trying to trying to work work on at the moment mm, fascinating thanks Justin and Fiona did you want to add anything there oh I think that's a really good answer Justin so not a lot to add but I guess the important thing to note Shrika is that it's about all of us taking collective action as well as these wonderful people thinking about um, really innovative ways to, to make a difference. The actions that all of us take really do add up as well. So um, we can slow down climate change just by doing things like driving less, thinking about um, where our food and where the things that we buy come from, lots of different things. And I'm sure you've already um, thought about those sorts of things in your class. So we can talk more about that later. Yeah, and we might even check in at the end to see whether there are any actions that you guys have thought of that might be able to help in that regard. Kia ora, and question number four, please. Hi, I'm Josie, and my question is, with the rising sea levels and the risk of erosion, where would they have to prioritise coastal protection levels? Ah, well done, Josie. Thinking about Aotearoa, especially, we've got so much coastline, so I'm really interested in hearing the answer to this as well. Well, I'll take I'll take that one, um, Shelley, and thanks, thanks, Josie. Um, did I, I'm not sure I mentioned it at the start, but um, I started off um, at Environment Canterbury as a coastal coastal scientist. So um, I started off by measuring what's going on um, on our coasts and measuring the amounts of erosion and studying tides and things like that. So this is a really interesting question for me. And it's it's also a really interesting question um, for lots and lots of um, people who live along the coast at the moment, all of our coastal communities. Um, so in terms of, in term, if we think about prioritising um, coastal coastal protection, we kind of first have to have to understand um, uh, what is um, what areas might be affected. Um, and we can do that um, by um, measuring. Um, I love to measure things at the coast so we can measure um, how much erosion is happening. Um, I think some of the videos you might have looked at, um, if you've seen, um, we use drones to, to measure um, how fast the coast might be might be um, might be eroding, or have even some some instances it, it's, it's it's building out. Um, but then we can kind of add the effects of sea level rise because if a if a coast is eroding now, um, 
it's pretty much guaranteed that with sea level rise, it will erode a little bit more. Um, if a coast is not eroding now, um, with sea level rise, it might start to erode. Um, so it's really important that we can um, draw lines on maps um, to predict that once we've predicted where the coast might be, um, and then we can look at we can look at look at the maps and decide well what's in what's in that area that we're predicting the coast might get to. Um, if there's, for example, a really important railway line, um, and it's going to be um, affected by future coastal erosion in the next 50 years. Um, we've got a little bit of time to think about how we can um, how we can do something about it. We don't have to do something immediately, but we might like to plan ahead and say, okay, well, maybe that railway line might have to move. We might have to move it inland. Um, and from our measurements, we know how far we need to move it inland because we know where the coast is going to be in a certain amount of, amount of time. Um, but say, for example, if that railway line was immediately going to be affected by by coastal erosion, like in the next in the next storm, um, then we'd prioritise um, what we'd call coastal protection. Um, and I never liked the word coastal protection because um, if we're building a seawall, we're never really protecting the coast, are we? We're kind of protecting the things that humans value um, at the coast. Um, so it's really it's a little bit complicated, and there's there's lots of different decisions that communities have to have to make um, when we're doing that. Kind of when we're trying to prioritise what to what to um, what decisions we need to make to uh, to guard against guard against erosion, um, but there's but there's also lots of things that that you guys can do um, with regards to, um, to to protecting our coast from from erosion. Not only um, doing those things that we might talk about later, which is how to um, you know, how to how to how to stop sea levels rising by um, by, by the decisions that we make, but we can also protect our coastline in natural ways. Um, there's lots of organisations, community organisations around um, at the moment, um, and particularly up, up your way, um, up around the uh, on the west coast beaches, and also in in the Coromandel. Um, lots of community groups go out and they they do dune planting, so they plant native vegetation on the on the dunes to make sure that our our coastline, our natural coastline, is really robust. Um, and so it's not going to erode uh, erode as much. So sometimes that natural protection is is just as important um, as say a rock a rock wall. I mean, I know I'd rather go to the beach and see a nice um, nice dune with lots of nice vegetation on it than I would to see a whole lot of whole lot of concrete. So um, those concrete um, those concrete uh, solutions um, are quite often um, hopefully the last. The last one we want to think about rather than the first one we want to think about. Mm. Lots indeed to think about. Thanks Justin. And question number five now please. Hello. Hello again Thomas. Hello. Um, so my question is, why do people worry about one or two degrees in temperature change when it's not that much and it's over hundreds of years? Another quality question. Fiona, we'll start with you this time. Yeah, thanks for your question, Thomas. 
we we hear these sorts of numbers one or two degrees and we think oh gosh yeah maybe we don't have to worry it doesn't sound like much at all but if we think about um a small change in temperature like that you imagine you've got um a piece of ice an ice cube one degree temperature change can mean the difference between that piece of ice staying frozen as a piece of ice or actually melting into a puddle of water and so if you think about that on a on a larger scale and think about the ice sheets in Antarctica or the glaciers here in New Zealand that we know are, are losing mass, they're losing ice each year, that one or two degrees temperature change makes a huge difference. So it can mean the difference between frozen ice and liquid water. And that has a really big impact, not only on the ecosystems immediately you know in, in the vicinity of that melting water but it actually has an impact on um, how heat and nutrients are transported around the planet through our oceans and those small changes can also have an impact on um, animal breeding cycles and the timing of plant flowering and things so they they touch on every aspect of our environment and if we think back to um, about 20,000 years ago in the last ice age, the temperature, the, the average temperature around the world at that time was only about six degrees cooler than it is today. So you think of, of that time when um, the planet was covered in these large ice sheets compared to what we see now and, and you think, oh, six degrees, maybe that's not that much, but it can have a huge impact on the way our environmental systems connect and work. And of course, that results in um, the weather and climate conditions that we experience on a, um, you know, these days. And just, just thinking about that, you might've already had a discussion about weather and climate, but it's an important differentiation to make here. So weather is, is what we get on a daily basis. Some days the weather's sunny, the next day it might be rainy. The next day it could even snow. Uh, but climate, when we talk about climate, we're talking about an average in those conditions over a longer period of time. So we might talk of, describe the, um, the summer climate in Canterbury as typically warm and dry. So it's averaging out those daily weather changes. Yeah, really important to note though that these are average temperatures, not just changes day to day, so over a much longer period. Thanks, Fiona. And last question, question number six. Really, I, I had a, sorry. Ooh, sorry, sorry, Justin, Shelley. you got something you want to add? I just, I'll just, I'll just jump. No, I just, here's, here's something that the, the kids can think about. I, I once I heard a really good um, uh, saying about weather and climate. Climate is what you would expect, but weather is what you get. Right. Yeah, that's a, a good description. Thank you. And question number six, please. Hi, I'm Case. Um, in New Zealand, what is the largest cause of climate change or global warming? Uh, thanks, Case. So, yeah, thinking about our local um, country more important say for us than what's happening overseas so good to have this question thanks case and who would like to answer that one 
I can jump in there, Case. Thanks very much for your question. It's it's good to think about what's happening here in our backyard. And I guess in New Zealand, um, when we look at our greenhouse gas emissions, the biggest contribution does come from agriculture. And that's because as a, as a nation, we've um, evolved over time, starting off, you know, back in the back in the olden days um, the people had smaller farms they had fewer animals but as time's gone on those farms have become um, more intensive so that they tend people tend to have more animals um, on their farm so more animals per per hectare and these animals do create methane from their from their digestion systems and so as part of New Zealand having a really important role to play in not only feeding us here in New Zealand, but feeding people around the world, our emissions from agriculture have increased over time. That's not the only thing though, here in New Zealand, we have a lot of emissions from, from transport. So um, if we think about the way we all move around the country, many of us drive cars we, it's really great to see the number of electric cars increasing, but not everybody has one of those. And so we're, we're reliant on um, trucks and things to, to move our goods around the country. And with all that driving does come a lot of fossil fuel use. So I think it's, um, again, looking at the, the broader picture and thinking about how each and every one of us can actually make changes that make a difference. So if we think about um, our impact on, on agricultural emissions, there's, there's a bit of a supply and demand element there. So the more meat we eat, the more our farmers need to produce and the more our emissions increase. So if each and every one of us was to, to have a few meals a week that are just vegetarian um, or, or just reduce our meat intake, reduce the amount of milk we drink or the cheese that we eat, that all makes a difference. And that, when you think about perhaps walking or biking to school, um, buying things from local producers, getting out and planting trees, turning the lights off when you leave a room, saving electricity, and all those sorts of things add up. So we can all play our part, and we'd be really interested to, to hear about some of the things that you might have thought about in that regard. Mm, indeed. Thanks, Fiona. And Justin, did you have anything you wanted to add? I'd just add um, add one thing one thing there, and that's the the um, the way the way that New Zealand farmers um, farm is 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 really um, efficient. Like in a lot of a lot of countries overseas, for example, um, farmers feed um, their stock, um, you know, grains um, and you know seeds, which um, Mess with mess with a, a, you know, a cow or a sheep's um, digestive system, and so they fart and burp a lot more than um, than than cows and sheep in New Zealand because cows and sheep in New Zealand are predominantly fed on grass, which is their kind of what they would you know evolutionary wise that's what they would normally that what they normally eat. Um, so even though our um, our our, our, our emissions from from livestock stock are high. Um, they're um, they're not as high as they would be if they were fed on, you know, things like grains and wheats and barley's and kernel corn kernel and things like and things like that. Um, 
so that's a that's a big pat on the back for our agriculture um, industry. Mm. Yeah, it's it's as you say, looking at that bigger picture, thinking about where our food is coming from, perhaps how how far it's had to travel, whether we've been able to buy local or are we buying something from overseas that was also had to be made, but it had to be transported as well. We know the cost of transport um, in terms of carbon emissions. So yeah, we've got to got to think deeply about things and and make uh, decisions based on good information. So thank you very much, Fiona and Justin, for your brilliant answers this morning, and thanks to Southall School for great questions. We do have some time for some extra questions if you've got any. Um, you can either type them in or just come up and ask them. We've got time for two or three questions if you've got any. I'll just ask one about climate change. There's no doubt that the earth has warmed over the last couple of hundred years, but some people who don't accept um, climate change, or if they accept that, they don't think that humans have caused it. What do you say to that? Well, thanks for that one, Barry. And um, the evidence for, for humans causing climate change is unequivocal. We're seeing reports coming out on a very regular basis. There's um, this one recent one released by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change just this week. And um, that panel is essentially collects evidence from scientists all around the world. And they have a series of meetings to talk about all the published evidence that scientists have gathered they talk about how they can report this evidence to governments and to people around the world. And they agree on um, some really important statements that, that talk to policymakers about the state of our environment, the state of our climate and the sorts of action that we need to take. So the evidence, the evidence is clear and um, yeah, I, I'd sit down with people and um, share some graphs have a discussion with them, understand what their concerns are and, and just talk to them a little bit more about what we've learned over time and build in that evidence from the collective knowledge of people all around the world. Mm. And I read in preparation for this field trip quite a few news articles and things and there was one in particular that was very persuasive for me and it talked about the chemistry of of emissions and carbon isotopes and all this sort of stuff. But basically it was telling me that there's a certain signature that scientists look for in carbon emissions and the carbon isotopes as they're called, which tells us that it's coming from certain human activities like burning fossil fuels. So you can trace activities and emissions and they've done that and they're seeing that the increase in the likes of carbon dioxide, et cetera, are from specific human activities so that was really persuasive for me so it wasn't just oh no this this is just nature well no it's all our little actions adding up together and that's what can make a difference um, to help reduce it as well brilliant any any other questions from uh, Southall School? Please, Coco if you could just ask it it's from oh, okay. It's from one of the boys online. So what's the question? Toby. Uh, how have the sustainable projects like the Team Seas affected the rate of climate change? 
How have the sustainable projects like the team sees? Can't even see the what? The team sees. The team sees affected the rate of climate change. The ten C's is that something you guys are familiar with? I haven't heard of that description. Yeah. Can you um, tell us a bit no. about what that's, it's, that means? Uh, it's a well-known YouTuber who does these uh, environment um, challenges of like cleaning up trash on beaches to help the seas, and like they they also plant trees, so they call it team trees, and um, so that's. Uh, Okay, yeah, so a little bit difficult to answer when we don't know the reference, but um, if I... It, sound, it sounds to me, Shelley, um, that um, that this person on, um, on YouTube um, is doing a really powerful job of educating um, all of their viewers and all of their subscribers um, on um, environmental sustainability. So... Um, I think that that people like that and influences social media influences for example like like that um, are, are really important to our um, to, to enhancing like Fiona was saying how really important is that we should all try and um, educate ourselves as much as we can about about climate change and the causes causes of climate change and 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 that's just one way of um, you know it's not just talking to your neighbor is it? he's talking to to thousands and thousands of, of his subscribers, if, I, if I've got that right. So I think that that, that is people like that are, have a really big influence on um, on affecting people's attitudes to to um, to greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. Mm, that's, so that's so that's ten C's. So I've just put it in the chat. I was looking for ten C's. So I think oh, ten C's, and I found that this guy on YouTube. That, well, it seems that most of the students in here seem to know who this guy is, but I have no idea who he's <laughs> talking about. Right. So we have one more question. Well, I'm, going to, I'm going to look him up. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I, I think I am too. Sounds like he's got great ideas. Have Have you got one more um, time for one more question from Jasper? Indeed we have. Yes. Okay, Jasper. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, just turn your attention that way and just stick with it. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Jasper. And I was wondering at what point, if possible, would climate change be harmful to human well-being? Ah, uh, Jasper, that is a good question. Thinking about the future. Justin or Fiona? It already is. Thanks. Thanks, um, Jasper. That's that's a very tricky one, and I guess if you if you think about climate change and the impact that it's having on on the world around us, um, we see you know the the effects that it has on our on our kaimoana, with um, the oceans getting warmer and more acidic, and we see things like extreme rainfall events and the flooding that's associated with that where people can not just lose their their properties or their animals but they can also have their lives at risk as well and as we move into the future and and suffer some of the the more um extreme impacts of of climate change we're expecting things like not just the 
the incremental temperature increases, but we can expect to have more hot days. So days when temperatures are above 25 degrees, and that causes stress to people and animals. So some of our um, more vulnerable parts of the population, our, our um, very young babies and our older people can be really affected by, by those hot days. So I think if, if we think about it collectively, it, you know, it, it's affecting us already. Um, we're lucky in some respects here in New Zealand. We, we most of us have um, warm and safe houses to live in. But people around the world, a lot of people live within uh, one metre of current sea levels. And we know with sea level rise, people's homes and, and livelihoods are really being affected. So as well as you know, potentially um, being affected by these extreme events, the mental stress on these people who, who are living in uncertain times with the, with the seas lapping at their doorsteps, that's really stressful for people. So again, it, it just comes back to the importance of, of us you know, living relatively well here in New Zealand. The actions that we take can really make a difference for people here and around the world. Mm, exactly. Thanks, Fiona. And I think that's all the questions that we've got from this morning, but I don't know about you guys. I have certainly learnt a lot. Um, just wondering if there's any actions that you guys have come up with at Southern School that you think might help make a difference, whether you've discussed any of those and want well, to share we're going, them. We're going to be launching into personal inquiries and group inquiries next term. So this is all our background and building knowledge phase of where people might want to take this and yep. it's going to be fascinating to see you know what what the students do decide to uh, to look at and tackle indeed and I would I would love to hear what they come up with so even if it's you know quite a long way down the track um, please feel free to share it with us because we'll be able to share it on to other schools as well and perhaps inspire others to do something so yeah, would love to hear your ideas. That is, be great. that is great. Well, we, we would love to share them. So um, Thomas is just going to very quickly um, say a thank you, if that's all right. And, and um, we thank you indeed for your time, Thomas. Yeah, on behalf of Southern School and 8KMA, um, yeah, thanks for your time this morning. And I found it really interesting, um, especially when you talked about how um, the hot days would affect um, like the vulnerable population such as the old and the young um, and yeah it was very useful information. Awesome thanks Thomas absolute pleasure talking to you this morning and really inspiring to um, hear about the work that you've been doing and looking forward to some of the ideas that you come up with and a big thank you of course to our experts Justin and Fiona. Thanks heaps well done and I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Thanks, and everyone. We can all say goodbye. Kakita and all. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thanks again. Goodbye. Have a wonderful Happy day. Namahinui, and that brings our web conference to a close.